Few industries inspire passion like sports, but the business of sports has created issues that are too complex for the casual approach that we enjoy in typical sports talk shows. We've developed this podcast to host in-depth conversations about those topics with people who can help us learn. So grab your favorite beverage and join us for Intelligent Sports Talk in the Coffee Pod. Well, this is the podcast, so excellent. Thank you so much, and see, please feel free to be as comfortable as okay. possible. I mean, this really is kind of a casual flow that we want to have going on here, free flowing, and all of that. Uh, today, we're here with uh, Dr. Brian Shannon, uh, who is a law school professor here at Texas Tech. Uh, Dr. Shannon, do you want to kind of give us maybe some background on uh, how you got here specifically? Yeah, glad to. I. Uh Joined the Texas Tech uh, Law School faculty in 1988, uh, so I've been here uh, quite some time. This is my uh, 28th year. Uh, prior to that, I had uh, practiced law uh, first uh, as an attorney advisor, active duty captain for the Air Force at the Air Force General Counsel's Office at the Pentagon for four years. Wow. And uh, after my uh, military obligation was up, I moved back to Texas and practiced in the Austin office of a Dallas-based law firm uh, for a couple of years till I had the chance to uh, come up here and join the faculty. No, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, coming up on 30 years, I saw that actually, along with a an, an crazy amount, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but a good, way, good a huge amount of uh, publications I've seen that you've written. Uh, I've checked out your CV and it was, your CV alone was probably about 10 pages. Very impressive. I guess when you've been here a while, you have the opportunity to do a lot of writing and other service activities. And well, you have not uh, at all misused your time here, it looked like, that's for sure. Um, quick overview as well. Uh, I, you went to Angelo State. That's where you got your BS in mathematics. Right. Angelo State, 1979 grad, and then law school in Austin at, at University of Texas. Okay. And then from there, that's where you did your work at the Pentagon and... Exactly. Military obligations. Great. I had been in ROTC uh, that helped pay for college. Uh, Well, went a long ways to paying for all of college and part of law school. And uh, part of the obligation then for taking that scholarship was a four-year commitment. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, I've known, I've had friends that have done similar things. Yeah. With the ROTC. so, needless to stay, say, you're very familiar with Texas Tech, Texas, the state of Texas in general, and how the law works. Uh, I understand you teach contract law. Right. And that, with your combination of your degree in mathematics, uh, is, I would imagine, puts you in a pretty good place as far as how finances can work in uh, certain situations with, uh, I don't know, paying college athletes or how that might function or where the, where the money goes in an NCAA Situation. Sure, and, and to, to kind of catch up to where I've had more familiarity and now I'm engaged in issues involving uh, student athletes and college athletics is uh, uh, I had the chance to serve on Texas Tech's uh, Athletics Council for about six or seven years, uh, and that's a, a committee uh, primarily uh, tenured faculty but also some community members uh, that are advisory to the president on, on athletics issues. And uh, when my predecessor is our campus uh, NCAA faculty athletics uh, rep, uh, Dr. Robert Baker from biology, when 
he decided to step down from that position eight years ago. Uh, one of our former presidents, then President Whitmore, appointed me uh, to succeed him as our, we call it FAR, back yeah. athletics rep. Right. And so I'm, I'm now wrapping up my eighth year serving in that role. And uh, is this an indefinite time, or are you going to be there just for a certain amount of years? Uh, we serve at the pleasure of the president. So it's a presidential appointment. I report to the president, and uh, and so it's up to now interim president Opperman and and uh, whomever is brought in as the the next president. Oh, great! So you know, looking at your background and everything, it's no secret why he uh, liked what you had to contribute to the situation making you the FAR, or Faculty Athletics Representative, since uh, what you had mentioned. Um, Now, your role in FAR, uh, I want to kind of talk about your experience and and what you've seen in that position uh, and kind of your purpose and the purpose of having faculty athletics representatives across the board, because this isn't unique to Texas Tech. This is something that every university would have. Right. Each NCAA member school, whether we're talking about autonomy conferences like the Big 12, uh, through Division Two, Division Three, each NCAA school has identified among the, the leadership positions, not just the campus CEO, the president, or at some campuses, their campus leaders call the chancellor. Uh, we're, we're not. Ours is, of course, the president's office, the chancellor's over the system. But you also have the athletic director, a senior woman's administrator, and a faculty athletics representative. And the reason for that is when we're talking about college athletics and, and student-athletes, we're talking about part of the overall academic university uh, program and mission. And so the involvement of having a faculty athletics rep, having a faculty member involved in the leadership, I think is significant that we are talking about two prongs here, not just athletics. These aren't uh, semi-pro or professional athletics, they're part of a, a college and university experience. And part of my role as a faculty rep is is to be an advisor to the president about what is going on for good or sometimes not good out of athletics and, and assuring that we, we are also keeping our eye on the ball with respect to the academic mission of the university. And, and not just me, the, my peers across the country. So the board consists of every representative from each university of the Big 12? Uh, to, to well, there's, there's multiple groups. So within the Big 12, uh, there is a board of directors for the Big 12 who are the presidents or chancellors of the 10 members, the 10 universities. In addition of the leadership groups, there's a, a council of athletic directors and a council of the faculty athletics representatives and a council of the senior women's administrators. Policy issues flow up through the athletics administrators to the faculty reps, but ultimately it's our board of directors, the, the, the presidents for the conference. Then nationally, there's 32 conferences within Division One, with over 300 institutions in Division One. We there have a, a Division I governing council that includes 40 members. There's one representative from each of the 32 conferences. There are four commissioners from, obviously, four different conferences. 
uh, two student athletes and then two spots set aside for faculty athletics reps in particular, and I'm serving in one of those. So we establish a lot of the, it's a new governance structure. It's been with us for just over a year. We establish a lot of the policy matters, the, the NCA bylaws, the, the recent uh, voting and regulations that, that came out about uh, uh, summer uh, camps and football was one that was in the media this last week. Maybe you could expound on that. Just uh, give a uh, yeah. So so we had uh, we met in Indianapolis last week, the council for our April meeting and policies. Remember, the NCA is a membership organization. It's not a state agency. It's not a federal agency. Uh, and so the association of schools. Uh, develop policy, their bylaws, and there were 76 different pieces of what we call legislation that were before the group. Basically, these are uh, amendments to existing bylaws or the creation of new bylaws. One of the 76 had to deal with whether there would be restrictions on uh, so-called satellite camps in college football. And on that particular issue, the only uh, persons who voted, uh, because part of the bylaws have separate rules for football bowl subdivision uh, by a 10 to 5 margin, uh, to put restrictions on the camps that they be limited to the individual campuses. I think there were concerns about uh, aggressive uh, recruiting in all parts of the country, particularly coming out of the Big Ten and of the, the five major autonomy conferences, uh, four of the conferences voted to restrict uh, these satellite camps. The Big Ten didn't. Did not. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Uh, but there were many other things we looked at, uh, ranging from deregulating some of the restrictions on use of uh, text messaging and, and uh, recruiting right, in the yeah. sport of football uh, to match where it is now in other sports, it's trying to kind of catch up with, with technology and how young people uh, communicate with one another. Uh, one that I uh, has not received any immediate attention, but I think uh, perhaps will in the coming days is uh, by unanimous vote, the full council uh, voted 64 to zero to adopt uh, a new academic misconduct policy, which I think is oh. very significant, yeah. particularly given some of these uh, high-profile academic misconduct cases that have arisen at places like Syracuse, Southern Miss, North Carolina, which is still pending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so are there uh, details of that that you'd be able to disclose right now, or is that t- uh, due time? Th- these policies, those that we voted uh, favorably for, have been adopted uh, the NCAA Board of Directors. So the council reports up to Board of Directors that are primarily presidents. Uh, uh, the, the current chair is uh, the president at uh, University of South Carolina. And so that board can vote to disapprove one that was adopted, but, but by and large, since it's really the first cycle and first year of the new structure, I suspect that they'll They'll bless, if not all, uh, the vast majority. But on the academic misconduct, under the former bylaws, there wasn't a specific bylaw directed to academic misconduct. Instead, there were two broader provisions that were used as, in effect, stop gaps to try and address the issue. One is uh, uh, called uh, unethical conduct. 
so obviously if you have a, a coach involved or a paid person at the university involved in some kind of academic fraud or cheating, uh, that would be unethical conduct. But unethical conduct can cover a wide array of different offenses. Then we also have existing legislation on extra benefits. Uh, a student athlete can't receive extra benefits, whether that's money under the table from, from a booster uh, or special favoritism in the classroom, uh, we want our student-athletes not to receive extra benefits. Well, that applies, or at least was originally thought to apply to monetary-type benefits and not necessarily other benefits. It had been applied in, in cases in academic fraud, but it didn't per se relate to it. So the new policy sort of pulls those out and creates an actual definition and, and set of provisions on academic, uh, academic misconduct to identify it as its own violation. Uh, and in that sense, it's not a big change, but it's a more focused change. And one of the challenges with that is typically cheating on a campus is normally handled by that campus. Right. And the NCA's view is that by and large, if that's the case, we still want to have the great run of situations involving cheating handled on a campus. We have this student judicial process here. Other campuses have something similar, and that's how those topics are generally addressed. However, at some level, it gets to be an NCA issue, particularly if you have, for lack of a better word, an adult involved. Uh, and, and so say you have a, a coach, the, the recent report and findings against Southern Mississippi, uh, their head basketball coach uh, apparently had his assistant coaches and graduate assistant coaches actually taking online courses for their student athletes and prospective student athletes, wow. uh, which appropriately was sanctioned. Uh, that's got to rise to an NCA level. Essentially, the reason why it becomes an NCAA level is because you can't trust the university at that point to basically withhold good standards, ethical standards in an academic context. I, 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 and I think instead of just a, uh, an individual student cheating on a test and being caught and pr prosecuted under the university's policy, that's a campus matter. Mm -hmm. But when you have... Uh, a paid athletics official, such as a coach, uh, in effect doing the student's work, uh, that's beyond just cheating. That's then an institutional uh, misconduct type of issue. Right. And North Carolina, I think, was a similar situation, but with tutors, paid tutors. Yeah, the, the, right. at least the findings by the independent uh, report, they, they hired a former uh, a federal prosecutor mm. to do an independent review. There's not an NCA resolution yet, but that that report identified a number of cases where uh, there were uh, student athletes as well as other students who, and this was just one area of the allegations, uh, they were getting credit for certain courses they may have never shown up for. They were turning in papers for courses they may have never shown up for, courses that uh, might have had a uh, you know an introductory page and a conclusion page and everything else was plagiarized uh, from somewhere and and grades were being given for that without the papers being evaluated by any professor but by a staff person within one of the college's departments 
And apparently it spread beyond just student athletes, but a number of fraternities and uh, other parts of campus and went on for years. And wow. so the NCAA has that before them now. And I yeah. expect a decision sometime soon. So that, as you said, fills a lot of the gaps in the academic context, but as well as a situation similar to maybe Louisville basketball, right? I mean, that what you had uh, decided on recently, I can imagine, takes place for a situation like that, where it's just kind of a lack of overall institutional control, and you have all these uh, alleged situations where there's prostitutes involved and there's drugs involved and things like that. Yeah, there's certain rules in the recruiting process that look at at fair play. And I mentioned earlier extra benefits, uh, that that there can't be extra benefits. And certainly my context a minute ago was in, in the academic context, but in the recruiting context, there shouldn't be extra benefits of cash handouts or here, the, the alleged uh, uh, use of uh, prostitutes to assist in their recruiting process. Uh, that's, again, before the NCAA. The, the institution has received, as I understand, a notice of allegations, but there hasn't been a resolution as of this time. Uh, but there have been similar cases in the past. The University of Colorado, for example, uh, was sanctioned for, uh, in effect, providing sex opportunities and the like to prospects as part of the recruiting process. And so there are certainly, not surprisingly, bylaws and rules in place uh, with respect to that. Yeah, no surprise there. And, you know, as you talk about this, that kind of makes me sit and reflect on kind of the purpose. And and I know that may seem like a very basic question, like why would they try and enact laws like these? Well, obviously, uh, just to protect civility in general. But beyond that, it's I it, it sounds like it's more to kind of set up uh, a meritocracy type of situation. Like it's, it's to mitigate kind of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, right? To level the playing field, especially in terms of uh, recruiting. Exactly. And things like recruiting, uh, uh, you know, certain areas are, are, are going to be open. Uh, we've got a great university at Texas Tech. We have great academic programs. We have a lot of things to try and recruit. We don't have mountains. Uh, we don't have an ocean, and so you know certain universities uh, are in locations that do. Uh, you're not going to have it completely equal playing field right. in terms of of the institutions. But the whole point of recruiting is to persuade a young man or young woman to to come to your school, uh, to perhaps play for a particular coach, and to attend that university. Uh, and many of the rules are in place, as you know, th- to to say. The focus should be on what are the opportunities at that university uh, and not some special favoritized treatment uh, that that goes beyond that kind of uh, more even-handed recruiting process. Exactly. And, and, and how those opportunities specifically line up with your goals as an athlete. And right. that's what can right. make the recruiting process unique on a level playing field. Sure. So, well, that's great. Uh, kind of switching gears here. Uh, and you may not be as familiar with uh, this fund. Uh, I imagine you're a lot more familiar than I am. <laughs> uh, this, there's this fund called the Student Opportunity Fund or New Student Assistance Fund. There's kind of been a merging that you had mentioned of the two. And essentially this fund is to set up uh, student athletes with, uh, I don't want to use the word benefits because that makes it sound like they're getting special treatment, but it's more just kind of like a, almost like an emergency fund for these student-athletes. Right. And, and, and each uh, 
NCA member uh, draws its resources from from various sources. Uh, for example, the the easy thing to think about would just just be the the gate receipts at at home games. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to generate some revenue. Other revenue comes from the conferences. So being a part of the Big 12 is significant for Texas Tech because the Big 12 has, for example, contracts with major television networks, uh, primarily for football, but also in other sports. And so revenue comes in that way. Some revenue comes from the NCAA uh, through its contracts and primarily its contract for uh, March Madness, the men's basketball championship each year. It generates significant revenue that the NCAA uses to uh, operate all 95, 96 of its national championships, pays its staff, pays for enforcement. And then some of those dollars come back to each campus uh, through, for example, this allocation of the Student Athlete Opportunity Fund, or now called Student Assistance Fund. And those are dollars where each school has a great degree of discretion on how they want to provide those dollars to benefit their student athletes or, or to assist their student athletes. Uh, some universities choose to just take, say they have 400 student athletes, they'll just take the full amount they may get for that year in terms of their allocation, their share, and divide it up equally and, and provide a stipend of that amount to each student athlete. Others, including Texas Tech, the fund is used to provide for certain things that ordinarily we can't use any other uh, fund source for because of different NCAA bylaws. For example, if a student athlete has a a death in the family, uh, this fund allows us to pay for a flight home uh, so the student athlete can go to the funeral uh, for their loved one. Certain other types of expenses have included... uh, eyeglasses, contact lenses, dental work, things that ordinarily we couldn't cover. Uh, And so rather than just a per capita amount, we have the fund there available and student athletes apply for that. And if it meets any of the very broad criteria, it's generally approved. Now I can imagine uh, this isn't something that every student athlete is applying for because generally speaking, in order to qualify for this fund as an athlete, you wouldn't really want to be in a situation that would require that. I mean, it is, you were talking dire need of help. Exactly. Sometimes it, it, it's, it's, it's need. Uh, and it's, we're talking about, obviously, a population largely between 18 and, and 22, and, and life happens, unfortunately, sometimes. Yeah. A, a grandparent passing away, uh, 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 a need to have the wisdom teeth removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so having this fund available gives us some flexibility in those expenses. Now to that point, so what's what's the difference between that and insurance? Well, that's a great question. For our student athletes generally, uh, we're able to provide health care services and and then contract uh, for uh, insurance, uh, a group insurance that will cover all the student athletes with respect to. Uh, their health care needs, uh, the rules and, and some of the international laws are a little different with international students. And so we're able to use some of these funds to actually pay the premiums to make sure our international student athletes also have health insurance. Gotcha. Okay, that's great. Uh, so within the student assistant fund guidelines, in fact, I'm reading here the there was this uh, actual release that they had for the guidelines. And in 2013, in August, 
they declared, and what it says here, and maybe you can help clarify, maybe not, and that's okay, uh, a total of about $73.5 million are sent to Division One conference offices. Now, that's the conference office. Now, they're going to divide that up by university, I would imagine evenly, if they're on the same conference, it's all... I, I think it's actually tied to the number of... There's a formula tied to the number of student-athletes at each campus. So, for example, at Texas Tech, we have 17 sports and roughly 415 student-athletes. Uh, University of Texas has a, a, a much... Uh, they field more teams. They have more Makes sports. Sense. So there's going to yeah. be some variation. Okay. And now I, my one of my big questions here is, is every conference getting about $73.5 million? Oh, no. This was the total amount... So, so to get an idea of how much each school has, you're still talking about more than 300 members in Division One. So mm-hmm. these funds are going to all the Division One members. So it's not per conference or per institution. It's you know divide 300 or whatever the number is into that amount. You okay. get a better idea, at least of an average. Okay, now that provided. makes a lot more sense. So we're looking about. I think our total has been in the two hundred thousand dollar range. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So about $75 million, uh, roughly $75 million is divided by conference, which is then divided by team, yeah. and, and, and which is then divided really by, by athlete, by, I, sh- I should say university instead of team, by university and then student-athlete. For the total amount that you're able to have to use. Right. So that gives me a bigger question then, I guess, because in terms of about 75 million that they're dispersing one of the big we, i was uh doing a bot podcast maybe and i'm sure you've had this question before uh this was a few months ago and we were discussing kind of the how this all all the money comes into play and kind of the big debate we weren't really taking sides one way or the other athletes should be paid they shouldn't be paid we were more questioning what happens to that money? And again, maybe this isn't something that necessarily you can answer because you're not part of the NCAA, but uh, in, a, in a roundabout way you are, excuse me, but not directly affiliated with the NCAA as an organization. Uh, there's a lot of money. They're over. They're making over a billion dollars. Uh, in fact, they're valued, from what I understand, at over a billion dollars in a sense. And maybe you can correct me there. Uh, where is the mo- where's the majority of that money going? Well, I can't give you precise numbers because right. I'm, I'm not familiar with those, but I do understand that, that their annual revenue, that well over 90% of it does come from the men's basketball uh, contract, which is quite lucrative, and I saw it was just extended uh, recently. Uh, with that, they don't just pay for that championship, but they pay for you know some 95 championships across the divisions uh, in you know, basically the rest of the sports don't make money. Yeah, and that's a big point that <laughs> uh, a lot of people overlook. And the NCAA does not oversee uh, Division One A or what we call FBS now football either because that's the bowl set up and the, the, now the new college football championship series. And that's set up through that entity and conferences. But for all the other sports, the football uh, – championship division, and so like the Sam Houston States and North Dakotas that are involved in, in that year in, year out, Division Two, Division Three, all the other sports uh, basically are not revenue producers. This runs the championships. It, it pays for uh, the events, pays for the travel, 
the officials, all of that. So that's a significant amount Absolutely. of what they're doing with it. It pays their infrastructure with with the actual headquarters in Indianapolis and the staff. So ranging from the enforcement staff to the eligibility staff uh, to uh, membership affairs type staff. So it it, it pays uh, for that. Pays for the actual enforcement process and actions uh, that are involved too. And then some of the money, as we talked about, comes back to campuses through formula such as the Student Assistance Fund. And then most recently, uh, the board of directors at a meeting earlier this spring, uh, they had something like $200 million in reserves that they'd set aside that they called a quasi-endowment. I mean, it wasn't a true endowment. It was just money sitting in a reserve account. The board decided... Uh, that it was more appropriate to return that to the campuses. And so that money is going to be reallocated to the campuses starting um, a year from now, uh, basically student-athlete academic-related services. And, and there's some limitations, but it's, it's going to be right. It can't be used for things like salaries for staff necessary, but to provide services uh, I mean, the, if the services are related to academics, right. But uh, And so that's going to end up potentially being five hundred to $600,000 per institution that can be spent over a 10-year period. So you don't want to just build a new program and spend it all in one year because then how are you going to continue that after mm-hmm. that year? But it's an opportunity to enhance services. And so Texas Tech, for example, we've got now a number of months to evaluate how we'll improve our current academic services at the Marsha Sharp Center uh, to utilize this this additional set of funds. And it's strictly limited to academics. Yeah, academics, student-athlete welfare in that regard, it, it, it's somewhat broader than just pure academic services because it could include things like uh, job training-related skills or, or job placement skills, money management skills, but things relating to student-athlete welfare and, and later life. <laughs> Great. Okay. Okay. So once again, uh, switching gears here now towards value. Now, this is the topic that kind of everybody has an opinion right. on, but nobody really seems to know enough about. <laughs> but thankfully, thankfully, we have you here. Uh, granted, I'm not counting on you to answer all the questions because I'm not sure any anyone can answer all the questions. But uh there have been a lot of things floating around, especially as of lately. In fact, this morning, uh, I came across uh, Sports Center, and on Sports Center, Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for Ohio State, is talking about how he thinks there's problems with the NCAA and and how they probably should be paid to some extent. He was referring to a, a someone else's Twitter handle, a recent college athlete. I wish I could tell you who exactly, but I can't. I wasn't able to find that. Uh and it seems very surface level stuff, to be honest. Uh, it, it it seems like they just kind of wish they had more. I mean, they they understand how they contribute really brings a lot of value to the university. There's no doubt about that. Nobody's questioning that. Granted, these are at varying levels. Not every we don't have Ezekiel Elliott's at every university. Uh, but then, what I thought was interesting is that sometimes you see other athletes saying other things uh, in terms of the NCAA using their likeness and selling that to EA Sports to do the video game NCAA college football. Now, Greg McElroy, a former Alabama quarterback, who you may have heard of, uh, was actually kind of tweeting this out just today, 
saying how he just received his check from EA Sports, uh, his likeness settlement check, and he has strong feelings about it. And I'm going to go ahead and just read his tweets consecutively here. He says, I just got my NCAA EA Sports likeness settlement check, and I have some strong feelings about it. NCAA video game is greater than this check use, uses my likeness. And um, he's got some errors in here, and I'm going to try and fix <laughs> as I go. Uh, and what he's saying here is that the the game is more fun than, than him getting money for his likeness ever being used and them not using it. I don't care. I'll send my check back if NCAA football returns. I understand that money is measurable, but being in a video game that's played by millions of people, how much is that exposure worth? Advertisers would love that type of presence. What's more valuable, short-term money, or being in a video game that people play for years? Not to mention playing as yourself in a game is priceless, which maybe it is. I, I can't say that I can relate. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> Current players deserve that experience to bring back NCAA football. I thought that was a really interesting take on his value and, and what he received. And that's that's something that we don't talk about enough, I don't think, is exactly what uh, these, N- these NCAA players, and not all of them are created equal exactly in what they earn or what they make, but how, how the university reciprocates is not talked about enough. Yeah, and, and there's lots of different threads in, in your question, and let me try and yeah, address, address several of them. Uh, First off, with respect to the latter and the EA Sports, as, as most folks probably know, uh, there's been a number of lawsuits filed in the last couple of years against the NCAA and against member schools and against the conferences. One of those uh, is the Ed O'Bannon case uh, out of federal court in California. It started as a lawsuit by Ed O'Bannon, a former UCLA basketball star, uh, against EA Sports. Uh, later, the NCA was brought into the case. That part of the case settled, and so the checks you're referring to were the distribution of the settlement fund out of that case. So the allegations, just in a nutshell, were that names, images, likenesses of Mr. O'Bannon and other college student-athletes were being used in these various EA Sports video games, whether college basketball in O'Bannon's case or college football as Mr. McElroy's uh, referring mm-hmm. to. Uh, and, and so as having seen some of these uh, uh, images, they were pretty good likenesses of these individuals uh, wearing their numbers uh, uh, in their uniforms, uh, presumably from their institutions. And uh, EA Sports profited from that. Uh, NCAA at the time uh, profited uh, from that, but the individuals had not profited from it. And so the suit said, well, this this is wrong. Uh, we should receive payment for that. And that part of the case settled. And so a settlement fund was created. I'm assuming the trial lawyers received a significant chunk. And then as these class actions work, as part of the settlement, then people who are part of the class can can fill out a claim saying, I, I want to be included, and whenever you get the total number, they then receive a check tied to their number of years or the like in their particular sport. I think it's interesting hearing that uh, comment that he thought there was more value to getting the chance to still be in the game uh, or, uh, than, than otherwise, because after the settlement or while the case was pending, NCAA and EA Sports all stopped using mm-hmm. uh, these kinds of uh, images, uh, as I understand it, for their games. Now, 
a piece of that litigation continued, not with respect to a damages class, but with respect to the plaintiff seeking an injunction against the NCAA, not related to any kind of game, but suggesting that their name, image, likeness were being used by the institutions more broadly uh, in college sports period, and that antitrust laws had been violated with respect to caps on, in effect, contributions or, or payments that were tied to what the limits had been on scholarship levels. An initial ruling by the federal judge was these limits should not be less than cost of attendance at the university, and she also ruled that there should be some kind of $5,000 a year trust account payment for each year of student athletes in school. Well, that piece uh, got appealed, but while the appeal was pending, the five autonomy conferences, including the Big 12, Texas Tech, we voted to increase scholarships from their former limits to full cost of attendance on each campus. Uh, So that piece of the case, the appellate court said, well, you've already done that, so that's not really, we're going to leave that part of the judgment in place. They rejected this idea of the $5,000 a year. Uh, The plaintiffs have now taken that up on appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, or they've at least asked for review. The NCAA has, I think, another three weeks before they have to respond to that and whether they're going to seek their own appeal. So that's a a very hot topic. Yeah. That, that that piece is is still pending. So, I will add with respect to scholarship. I I for one don't favor the idea of pay for play or payment. I think we are providing compensation that is tied or tailored to uh, the academic model. And this is exactly what I want to hit on. Yeah, and and the academic model is you're not just an athlete, you're a student athlete, you're a college athlete. This, these aren't the semi-pros. Uh, we're not talking about minor league baseball or minor league football, but, but college athletics. There's expectations uh, of academic progress, et cetera. I think it's an important part of higher education. I wouldn't have accepted this role or be involved if I didn't believe in this part. Uh, but I don't think those in athletics have done a good job of talking about the great value that's been provided. That's exactly right. Uh, at, at Texas Tech, uh, we've been signing multi-year agreements uh, with our uh, uh, student-athletes starting this last uh, year when those became uh, permissive that are in effect at the six-figure level. I mean, you're roughly talking about 25000 a year uh, for an in-state student times a four-year scholarship uh, with the potential for it to be extended a fifth year if there's been a red shirt. Now, just to play devil's advocate now, and this doesn't mean I uh, think this way, uh, I did see an argument that the they actually don't take up a scholarship spot tuition-wise for another student because they're just add in addition to everybody that's already accepted academically. I guess I don't quite follow the question. We are paying for there is full money. scholarship yeah. student athletes, higher education. I guess the money still applies. Yeah. And, and and so in fact, athletics on our campus contributes to the university a significant amount because we're in effect through money generated through the athletics budget paying for the tuition fees, books, et cetera, for right. those student athletes. So it 
I mentioned this increased cost of attendance. I think that was the right move. It was a way to have an increase for student-athletes, but still tied to the academic mission. Scholarships had been artificially capped while still generous. They'd been tuition, fees, books, room, board. Well, cost of attendance also takes into account the full amount that the feds will authorize loans to where they've estimated for each campus the average cost to attend that university for the year. At Texas Tech, that delta between what the old scholarship amount had been and full cost of attendance was roughly $4,800. So this year, we were able to increase scholarship amounts for our full scholarship student-athletes by $4,800. So if you have a student-athlete who's um, also of lesser means and qualifies for a Pell Grant, that's over 5000 in addition. And so in addition to having full cost of school paid for, you're talking about 4800 or in some cases over $10,000 of additional funds to support that student athlete. So I have an actual number for you. Uh, according to a USA Today article that was written in t- 2011, uh, do you want to take a guess on what they, what their analysis concluded as to the average Division One athlete's value, in other words, what they receive annually. In what sport? Uh, they, basketball, sorry, excuse me, yeah, it was, it was see, analyzing basketball. Yeah, and see, that's a very small pool, and being divided in, I, I don't know what they were dividing into. So I'll, I've I'll seen such in. numbers. Yeah, but. yeah. So this is the create. this is the astounding part, because you mentioned in terms of like 10, 15,000, yeah, uh, I, there, there's no doubt on the surface you could say that's right there. But then there may be more to it, and even in other in other sports, their analysis concluded that it was 120 thousand annually in goods, services, and they calculated future earnings into that, which is not a weird thing to calculate when you're looking at value because they do that a lot with just regular college students, just what the future earnings may be because of what they learned in school. All plays into it. Uh, they itemized this through grants, like you had mentioned. Also, specifically, value as a basketball player, like the facilities they play in. Now, you don't think about that often, but for an average person who's not an athlete to go to the gym, work out, play basketball in a gym, not to mention some of the top facilities in in the country are these NCAA, or excuse me, are these universities, institutions, own facilities. Well, an average person has to pay to, to even get to a facility that come that somewhat comes close to that yeah, same atmosphere, yeah. right? Uh, and that's even a monthly payment, and that will even go into it. This is kind of going all into their analysis. Uh, general support, and that goes into like attire uh, for the student. And I don't know about you, but when I go to when I attend a university, it's easy to see the athletes because they're all wearing apparel that shows they're an athlete that's been given to them, that's been provided to them. As part of their that's scholarship, correct. right? Uh, and they even cited specifically average basketball player goes through six pairs of basketball shoes through a, one season, and that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a medical insurance premiums that also go into that that value as well. Because if there's an injured athlete, they're being provided for. They also get the physical therapy that goes into that afterwards through their trainers and everything. And and there have been athletes that have even commented and said. 
I mean, I, I would have never rehabbed the way I did or even as quickly as I did if it weren't due to the facilities that they had given me after my surgery and how I was able to get it all taken yeah, care of. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And they're on to a correct point that I was identifying the actual scholarship amount. And yeah. We've got young people, if they can come in on a full scholarship, they have an opportunity to earn a degree. Uh, or, for example, in Todrick Gocher's case, he's going to leave here with three degrees. Right. Uh, and and throughout that period of time, uh, they they ought to be able to leave debt free or largely debt free. Uh, they've had access to uh, the trainers, the top class facilities, weight rooms, academic services support at the Marsha Sharp Center, nutritionists who recommend the best approaches to eating. Whether they'll follow that, yeah, another right, matter. Right. Uh, and uh, the opportunity for the you know, some of the sporting attire uh, through each institution generally has some kind of contract with with a, a major uh, supplier. Uh, Under Armour is happens to be the partner for Texas Tech, uh, uh, Adidas, some of the others with some of the other Nike's institutions. A big one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so all of that's there. Plus, as as you know the future earnings potential of having a college degree versus not. Uh, I think athletics still provides many opportunities for some individuals who are first-generation college. I understand at Texas Tech, of our current 415 student-athletes, 115 are first-generation college. Over a lifetime, if those individuals earn their degree, that can be worth, in today's dollars, over a million dollars lifetime. Absolutely, and there's all sorts of statistics to back that up. That is, by the way, a fascinating number that you just gave out of the 415 athletes here 115 are first generation that's that's irreplaceable yeah absolutely 25 percent. and it it not only gives those individuals an opportunity to change their lives but their whole family's lives as they go forward that's great well dr shannon thank you so much for devoting your time and helping us answer more questions uh, I, we would love to have you back sometime in the future, I'm sure, to kind of discuss more rulings and things like that that may happen. You can be our NCAA expert, maybe. Glad to come back. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah. All right. Have a good afternoon.